Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is the strengthening of the prophets. Now, I don't know. We never hear about it in specific uh, in Scripture. But I wonder whether the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament prophets, when they were young, did they dream of being prophets? There's one hint in one verse that we may get to tonight uh, where it sounds like Daniel, when he was young, uh, was thinking of going in this direction with his life. But you imagine a young uh, person wishing to become a prophet and wondering, how could I ever be strengthened to become a prophet? And they may think, oh, it would be so great because uh, I'll be closer to the Lord. I'll be able to help the people. It'll just be wonderful. So I can't wait until I go into that tra transition to become a prophet. And yet, in fact, um, it's a very bumpy ride for people when they become prophets. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And will you join me for an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. Please bless us tonight with your presence, Lord God. You are the word made flesh. Please dwell among us and open our eyes to your word and the process that you take us all through. Amen. Amen. Such a pleasure to be with you, friends, sending out love to those of you who are online and getting the audio file and so on. Last week, you don't have to have experienced that Bible study, but last week we talked about the process of being strengthened in general. And I had a little graphic about it here uh, that in order to keep our ego the right size, the general process is that you try at something, you experience beginner's luck and you feel encouraged, you redouble your efforts, you fail or plateau, you fall into despair, you wait a while, and then you get a miraculous bit of strength from the Lord. And this is a way of being strengthened without having your ego enlarged. So this is something that, that Scripture teaches. And so I want to look at this from the standpoint of the strengthening of the prophets. It's very interesting that in Scripture there are a number of stories about prophets being called... Um, it's curious to me, and I hope to explain this evening why I think it is, but all the people whose call you actually witness, you get to see what happens to them as they transition into being a prophet. There are quite a few of them in Scripture, which is fascinating, and uh, all of them are male, which is a curious thing. There are female prophets. There are five in the Old Testament, Miriam and Huldah and Deborah and Noadia and... Um, uh, I'm forgetting another one. And uh, in the New Testament, uh, Elizabeth prophesies. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she prophesies and so on. Uh, but we only get to see the calls specifically of these male prophets. And I think there's a reason for that. And I want to look at what happens to these people and what it's like. Because if they dreamed of being a prophet when they were younger and they thought, oh, this is just going to be great. Well, it's a little bumpier than just great when they get the call. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. How are the prophets specifically showing us this process of being strengthened? Let's turn, if you will, to the Old Testament, the very beginning there. The second book of the Old Testament is Exodus. Let's go to chapter 3. This is the call of Moses. You may be familiar with this story. 
And um, so let's just start at the beginning of chapter 3 there and get a little flavor of this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So you get that. He's just a humble shepherd at this point. He grew up as Egyptian royalty, and then he had to escape uh, because he had killed a person in a, in, in a kerfuffle or whatever the biblical term is, and uh, he had to flee. And so he was acting as a shepherd uh, for years and years out in the backside of nowhere. And that's what he was doing at the time that this call came to him. He might have felt like, well, I grew up in the Egyptian court. Now I'm just a humble shepherd out here. And that's probably, that's my life. You know, I think he's 80 years old at this point. So mm. sort of, you know, well, that's, that's probably it. Had a good innings and everything. But the Lord has something else in mind. Let's look at this here. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Mm, I just love that idea. So he's already out in the middle of nowhere. Then he goes even farther into nowhere to the backside <laughs> of the mountain of God. Go on. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Yes, so this is a curiosity to his mind. Like, what, what is some, something strange here? I don't understand what's going on. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And this is an important detail here. Go on. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look... God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, do you see that there's sort of a partnership going on? So the angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, maybe he would just ignore it. Maybe just keep walking. Oh, well, happens all the time. A lot of strange things go on in the desert. Uh, but he turns aside. And what does it say at the beginning of verse 4? That, that when the Lord saw that he turned aside, oh, I've engaged his interest, you know. Okay, now we can have a parley vu. If he, if he wasn't interested, he just kept walking, no deal. But, but he's interested. And so that initial thing, the burning bush, was able to catch his attention. And then the Lord was able to communicate with him and called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he's told, you know, to take off his shoes or his sandals and so on. And look at verse 6 there. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so, of course, what Moses says at this point is like, finally, I've been waiting for this moment. This is so awesome. No, what does he say? And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon Oh, God. no, he, this, is, this is not very bumpy yet, but he hides his face. Like he, he actually turns away. So he was looking before, but now it's, whoa, this is a little too intense. And so he turns away. And then the Lord says to him that he's seen the affliction of the people. He wants to help them and rescue them and everything. And uh, look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Yeah, so he's not feeling almighty and powerful at this point. Uh, he's me? You, you've got the wrong person? Really? Me walking to Pharaoh and everything? And, and, uh, and the Lord promises, no, I'm going to be with you. And here's a token for you and all that. And uh, this story goes on for quite a while. 
Uh, look at chapter 4, verse 1. And so he's told more things from the Lord about what's going to happen, and there will be all these miracles and so on. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Yes, and so the Lord shows him some miracles. You know, you see what I mean? It's not sort of like, Oh, I'm so glad to see you, God. You know, he's having a lot of trouble with, with what's going on here. And... Um, so the Lord has to prove him things, gets him to do miracles. And then finally, this is quite a famous thing. Verse 10 there. Then Moses said to the Lord. And so the Lord keeps solving things. No, okay, I'll give you a sign. Okay, here's what to say. Here's what, you know, this is going to be okay. It's really, it's going to be okay. And then he, Moses says what? Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servants. <laughs> yes, right. I wasn't eloquent for 80 years before I saw you in the burning bush. And actually, right now, I'm having some trouble getting my words out. Uh, it's no better for having seen you. Uh, go on. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Mm. So, the so the Lord's still hanging in there with him. <laughs> So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. Yes. So Moses is not feeling like, Oh yeah, I can totally nail this. Uh, he's feeling very unsure. Like, I... You kidding me? You want me to be this great, huge, you know, public speaker doing this mighty thing and freeing all the people and arguing for the people against Pharaoh? And the Lord keeps saying, look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. Don't worry about it. And then look at verse 13. What does it say there? But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Please hire someone else. I, I, I'm not available. I, I'm honored to have been asked, uh, you know, <laughs> but you've got to get somebody else. So in the appearance in the which the scripture is written, what happens next? So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said... <laughs> so this was the final story. There's been two chapters of this now, you know, going on and on. Right. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. He can speak well. <laughs> <laughs> and look, he is also coming out to meet you. Oh. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And with his, okay, fine. I'll be with everybody's mouth. <laughs> you know, just I need you to do this job for me. Go on. And I will teach you what you shall do. And he'll be your spokesperson and so on. So anyway, that's, that's good fun. Uh, so when Moses is called, he has this overwhelming sense of, well, nobody's going to listen to me. And, you know, it's not like he feels all, almighty and like he's up for the challenge. Uh, he really thinks the Lord has it wrong and has to do something different to get this thing to work. Uh, and look at chapter 6, verse 12, because they're still having a dialogue. Some, some more stuff has gone by here, but they're still having a dialogue about this. So he speaks before the Lord in 6, verse 12. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? 
For I am of uncircumcised lips. He's still talking about, you know, I can't, this is not, not good. I'm not good at this. You've got the wrong person. He's still saying, I, 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 don't, I don't think this is a good fit. And of course, what does he do? Leads the children of Israel for the wilderness for 40 years. His name is still, you know, a household name because uh, he was just an amazing leader. So he was strengthened by the Lord in time, but involved Moses going through a lot of feeling weak and inadequate. Uh, one quick story, if you turn to the right and go through, let's say, De Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges, get to 1 Samuel there. It's only a single verse that I want to read to you. We've talked about this story another time. But King Saul is also said to be a prophet. He prophesies at some point. And uh, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He'd already been anointed by the Lord at this point. And then they called all the people together and they cast by lots to figure out which tribe should we pick our king from and then which family within that tribe. And everything came down to him. And look at um, verse, 20 to, uh, uh, verse 21 there. Uh, which chapter? Sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 10. Why not? Let's, oh, let's do okay. 10. Yeah. First verse, did you say? Let's start at 20. Oh, the 20. 10 verse 20. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Oh, that was Saul's tribe. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. And he was the, so Saul was the one who was going to be king. So he was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Oh. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> so another moment. Some have greatness thrust upon them and are hiding among the equipment at the moment that that occurs. So I'm just saying it fits into this kind of theme of like the moment of this call is a moment of actually feeling weak and undeserving and so on. That's part of the strengthening of the prophets to go through this. Have a look now. Turn to the middle of your Bible, if you will, and see if you can find the book of Isaiah. It's the largest book pretty much except for the Psalms. And let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. So now we get into the, these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and read a little bit about their calls. Let's, I just love these stories. They're so great. Isaiah chapter 6, From right the, at the first verse there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah's having a vision of, of God on a throne. Go on. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Mm. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Okay, this is awesome kind of, you're seeing otherworldly beings, uh, the, the, the place is shaking with the power of this voice, and the whole, whole place is filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, I'm so excited about this. I just, I've been hoping to be a prophet. What does he say? 
Woe is me, for, for I am undone. I am undone. That's his reaction to seeing this vision. Like, oh, he just, he just collapses. Woe is me, for I am undone. Now listen to this. What did, what did Moses say? He said he had uncircumcised lips. What a weird expression. What, is this, what, what does Isaiah say? Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Yes, his problem is that he's seen the Lord. That was a terrible, terrible experience for him because he realized, oh, you know, as soon as he sees the Lord and all that beauty and purity and incredibleness, he realizes, I am a disgusting person and everybody I know is disgusting. And basically, you know, I mean, that's how, that's how he... So it's not like he just goes, hey, this is great, you know. The call of Isaiah, this incredibly powerful prophet, is, is very difficult for him to go through. And then what happens in verse 6 there? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Mm. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. So this is like a, a piece of sort of theater, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but just like there's a whole symbolic process of, of the purification of the prophet uh, represented in this coal that comes and touches his lips and he's told that his iniquity is taken his ways, his sin is purged, and then this famous verse. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Yeah, so when the Lord first appeared, there was no, here am I, send me, I'm up for this, I'll be great at it. Uh, I'm undone, I'm undone. I'm, I'm a person of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he needs to go through a purification process from outside of himself uh, that gets him ready and then he's able to answer the call. And he answers it very powerfully. Turn to the right and you'll get to the book of Jeremiah is just next. And I want to go to chapter 1. Hmm. Quite a few of these kind of stories in here. Let's start at Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. Jeremiah talks briefly here, more briefly about his call. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Hmm. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Mm. And so his reaction is, I've always thought I was destined for great things. Thank you for appearing to me. What now, does he say? Then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. Yes, I just have one problem here, which is I'm no good. Have we heard that before? I can't speak. I can't do that verbal thing. That's probably part of this job, so I think you've got the wrong person. Go on. I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. Yeah, don't, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, Isn't says that the, the same Lord. thing he said to Moses, had so much trouble, and the Lord said, I'm with you, I'm with you. We got this. I'm with you. Uh, you're not going to be doing this by yourself. I'm with you. Go on. Then the Lord put forth his hand. And, and what did he do? Touched my mouth. Oh, he touched his mouth. 
Go on. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. In other words, highly symbolic. Again, in a vision. And he says, Boom, here, I'm putting my words in your mouth. And last, let's just read verse 10 there. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out mm. and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And you notice that those negative things come first, but then there's positive things at the end of that. I've put my words in your mouth. So the strengthening of the prophets involves a very humbling thing for them. Uh, most of the ones that we've seen so far have said, I have unclean lips or I can't speak or I can't do it or they're hiding with the equipment. And so let's see how Ezekiel does. So, so turn to the right, go through Lamentations and look at the book of Ezekiel. And let's look at chapter 1 and we'll start with verse 26. There's quite a few verses of this, but we'll just read a few of these. And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne. There's another throne. So Ezekiel, too, is having this vision of a throne. A throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Mm. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud mm. on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Yes. So and when, so when, when I, I saw it, I just thought, I am so excited to be alive at this moment and to be having this nice experience. What did he do? So when I saw it, I fell on my face. Boom! <laughs> Down he goes. And I heard a voice of one speaking. So splat, face down, and then he just hears someone speaking to him. This is what he goes through. He sees this overwhelming scene. So the strengthening of the prophets doesn't look in the short run like strengthening. It looks like a kind of death. You know, he, he keels over. And what do we read in chapter 2, verse 1 there? And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Mm. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. Now, I just love the, the who's doing what to whom here, mm. because he says to Ezekiel, stand up on your feet. Does Ezekiel stand on his feet? I guess not. Well, what Ezekiel says is the Spirit entered into me when he spoke to me, and the Spirit stood him up on his feet. But it's not something he could even do for himself at that point. So he stands up, and then he hears the one who's speaking to him. Let's just read verse 3 there. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And that goes on about how difficult this will be. And then in verse 6, what does he say? And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> do not be afraid of their words, or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Mm. You and then he talks to him some more about all this. And look in 3, verse 7. But the house of Israel will not listen to you Aha. because they will not listen to me. Interesting. For There's another theme of like, just be forewarned. They won't listen to you. 
you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you know? They're not going to listen to you because they don't listen to me. Go for, on. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Mm. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces. This is the strengthening. It's not from Ezekiel himself. The Lord has said, I have made your face strong against your, their faces. And your forehead strong against their foreheads. Mm. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Did you yes, say that? and let's, that's right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, uh, so he hears some more things about this. And look at verse 14 there, 3 verse 14. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. It was what upon you? Strong. It was strong. Yes. So the spirit, again, the spirit lifts him up, takes him. So something else has come in and taken over his life. You know, it's, it's not his own autonomy in quite the same way anymore. The spirit lifts him up, takes him away, and he goes in the bitterness, in the heat of his spirit. Such an amazing. So it's not like it was just a... Uh, just a treasured experience. I'd love to take home a memento of that fine day. You know, it was kind of a devastating experience to him uh, to see the Lord like this. Uh, he goes in this bitterness and the heat of his spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. And this something else has come in and taken over in, in his life. Okay, that's the call of Ezekiel. Let's see how Daniel fares. <laughs> Turn to the right. Uh, these are the major prophets. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10. Mm, mm, mm. There's a lot here that would be worth reading. Okay, let, let's, yeah, let's just read this. We've got a little time. Beginning at first verse there. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Uh -huh. In those days, I, Daniel was mourning three full weeks. Mourning. That's mourning. right. Grieving for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Yes. Okay. So he is already in a state of fasting and grieving. And then what happens? Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, mm. his eyes like torches of fire, mm. his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Yeah, so he's having a different experience than they're having, but they still find the experience terrifying. Whatever it is, they, they flee and they run to hide. Okay? Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And how did he feel? And no strength remained in me. Ah, the strengthening of the prophets involves the experience of no strength whatsoever. It's just all his strength is taken away. 
for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. No strength. Mm. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Yes, can you imagine that? So we heard another one where he, was, he fell on his face, and then he just hears things, but he's fallen on his face. In this one, he actually says he's in a deep sleep, like his, his strength just failed him utterly, and he's just passed out on the ground, but he can somehow still sort of hear the, hear the voice coming in. And his face on the ground. And so what happens after his face is on? Remember with Ezekiel, the spirit flew, flowed into him and got him up on his, on his feet, right? And then and strengthened him and gave him things to say and so on. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Okay, so he's doing a little better than he was. He's up on his hands and knees, trembling. <laughs> okay, that's good. It's progress. <laughs> And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. That's the same thing they told Ezekiel, stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. So he was able to get up, but he's, he's, he's still shaking. You know, he had zero strength. Now he's up, but, it, but he's shaking and trembling. Go on. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, see, that's a little clue. That's the only clue that I was referring to earlier, that it seems as though something, all it says is that Daniel set his heart to understand. And what was that word in the old King James? Is chasten yourself before your God. What, humble, what did he do? Humble, humble himself. Right, right. From the first day, so... There was a pre-existing desire for, you know, he was going for something. He was responding to some desire in his heart um, and, and to humble himself before his God. His words have been heard and, and they've come because of his words. And uh, look at verse 14 down there. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. Mm. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Yeah, so he's not done with it. You know, he's just, uh, you know, he, he just has nothing to say. And what happens? And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. What is it with the lips? One, you know, these are stories that were written hundreds, if not thousands of years apart. And yet they have this similarity. Isn't it amazing? Go on. Then I opened my mouth mm. and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. And how do I feel? And I have retained no strength. No strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Okay, so I gather you're not feeling strength. <laughs> Go on. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. He strengthened him. The strengthening of the prophets. It comes from outside. It doesn't come from inside the prophet. It's something mm. from outside. Uh, let's see. I think that's where I wanted to oh, stop. Really? No, no. Is there one more? One more. 
Okay, go, go for one. And he said, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Yeah, no, Peace. I wanted to read this one. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the record. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Mm. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Yes, when he spoke to him, that's when he was strengthened. So he says, be strong, which is, doesn't seem terribly effective because the guy's trembling and he keeps falling down and everything. But he says, be strong. And then when he spoke to him, Daniel was strengthened. And said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So he's finally strong enough just to be able to even hear this message, you know, that's coming mm -hmm. to him mm -hmm. from above. Very, very powerful story to me. Uh, let's turn to the right. You'll go through these minor prophets in quick succession. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Jonah's the fifth one in. I'm sure you're aware of this story, good friends. Let's just read the first three verses. We don't have to go through the whole story, but it's another case. Here's a call of the prophet. Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Yes, and you probably know how Jonah reacted to this call from the Lord. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Yes, scholars believe, I think, if I have this right, Nineveh to the uh, northeast, if I have my map correctly, and Tarshish is in Spain on the opposite end of the Mediterranean Ocean. You know, he went as far in the known world as you could go in the wrong direction as a result of this cult. And you know that he was <laughs> swallowed by a great fish. Uh, first of all, there was a storm and then they drew lots and they threw him overboard and then he went down in, in the great fish and was down there for three days. And then finally, after he prayed and said, thank you to the Lord, then he was vomited out on the dry land. And then the word of the Lord came to him a second time and said exactly the same thing. So this time he said, okay, well, I said, <laughs> might as well go. But it's not sort of, it wasn't like Jonah's finest hour is recorded here in scripture. <laughs> Don't know how he feels about that. But it was a rather humbling response that he had to his call. Now, okay, let's look at, go into the New Testament now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Now, Peter, I don't think Peter is specifically referred to as a prophet. He was a leader of the disciples, leader of the Christian movement, and he was certainly kind of a Moses to early Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to read this little story here. Uh, Luke chapter 5. Did I say the wrong? From the top? Uh, let's just do... Um, yeah, let's do that. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the about word Jesus, of God, yeah. that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And in this gospel, this is the first time he's ever met Peter, if I have this correct. Simon is Peter, and this is the first time they ever meet. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. 
And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And so Peter at this point was very, very excited because this is the kind of power that I've been looking for in the world. It's very exciting. I want to align myself with you. What does he say to the Lord? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Yes, this is Peter's response. First meeting with Jesus, he tells him to go away. <laughs> go away, I'm a sinful person. Isn't it similar to Isaiah's reaction? You know, I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isn't it the same kind of reaction? Like you see, you think it would be so great, like you're praying for that all your life, you want to see that. And yet when it comes, it's like, oh man, you know, I'm not the right person. You know, like I'm not in the right condition to be having this experience. So tell you what, Jesus, you go your way, <laughs> I'll go mine. You know, I'm a sinful man. There's no point in us trying to pretend we have a relationship here. So that's Peter's response. Good. Okay, uh, let's go through John to the book of Acts. You may be able to see what's coming here. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. And this is the uh, apostle Paul, whose name, interestingly, is Saul. His Hebrew name is Saul. Greek name is Paul. And uh, so he is persecuting the Christians. Uh, let's read a little bit of this, shall we? Start at 9 verse 1 there. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So it wasn't enough to, for him to persecute local Christians. He wanted to go all the way up to Syria and, and, and bring them back imprisoned, you know, try to hunt this thing down wherever it is on the planet. And the way is means... Christianity. Christianity. Yeah, that was the early name for Christianity. It's a the really way. cool name. Mm -hmm. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Okay, and so his response was to say, this is what I've been looking for, this is what I've been praying for, this is so awesome. How does he react? And he fell to the ground. Oh, he does the same thing, they all splat, down he goes. They must get tired of it. Every time you appear to somebody, face plant, you know? Go on. Sorry. <laughs> We need a little more reverence here. So. So. Okay. <laughs> he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And how is Paul doing at this point in verse 6 there? So he, trembling and astonished. He's trembling and he's fallen down. He's trembling and astonished. Go on. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Mm. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Isn't that just like Daniel's companions 
who left quaking and they hid in fear and everything, but they couldn't, they weren't really perceiving everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. Go on. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And you find out in a moment why he didn't see anybody. And he was three days without sight. Oh, it's because he was blind. That's why he couldn't see anybody. And neither, and neither ate nor drank. Isn't that interesting? Daniel didn't eat or drink for three weeks before that vision. He's not eating and drinking afterward. Okay. And then as the story unfolds, uh, Ananias is a cool story, but Ananias comes and uh, let's look at verse 17 there. Just pick it up there. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. This is the source of that famous saying about scales fell from your eyes and that kind of thing. And he received his sight at once. Hmm. And, and he arose and was baptized. Okay, and then how did it go after that? So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Ah, now he's strengthened. So isn't this the same pattern that when the Lord comes in, Wow, you lose strength, you're, you're trembling, you can't respond. Some of them go into a deep sleep. Some of them just stammer about how they, I can't do this or whatever. But it's a very similar reaction, isn't it? And then after a while, you get strengthened by the Lord. So it's not a linear process, wouldn't you say? It's not like you just, you're strong, then you get a little stronger. No, it's like you shut the whole thing down and then it starts up again on, under new management and... and um, and so Paul is strengthened, and with that strength, he goes up. Just one more. Turn to the right, and let's go to the book of Revelation. I love how often the Lord has us go from one end of Scripture to the other. And let's look at John on the Isle of Patmos, right? Here's John on the Isle of Patmos, and this is like thousands of years after the Moses story. You know, this, this is across a long period of time. Many different authors, many different texts. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, and let's start at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Interesting that the voice was behind him. A number of these people have been face down, and then they hear a voice behind them. Go on. Saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And it's interesting that he's saying what you see right in a book, and he doesn't see anything yet. There's a voice behind him. He's not seeing anything. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Mm. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And does John say, you know by now, friends, does he say, oh, I'm so glad I'm having this vision. This is just really beautiful, and I feel great right now. I feel really a lot better for seeing this. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. In some ways, that's the clearest and the most profound, you know, as dead, <coughs> as dead. Pow. De not just deep sleep, <coughs> not just saying I, my lips are no good or I can't speak or something. As dead. Mm -hmm. I fell at his feet as dead. And what happened? But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So isn't that similar to all those other messages that you get touched, you get lifted up, so something from outside of himself lifts him up. Mm -hmm. So these are stories of the call of the prophets. And I find these really amazing. So in terms of this idea that I put up on the board before from last time, uh, we don't see much of these phases here, but you, first of all, you make an effort, you experience beginner's luck and feel encouraged. Number three, you redouble your efforts. Four, you fail or plateau. Five, you fall into despair. Six, you wait a while, and then you get miraculous bit of strength. And number seven, well, there's a similar shape, isn't there, in the call of the prophets, just in the sense that it doesn't go straight to strength. It's not like your strength increases. It's like your strength shuts down altogether and then you get something from the Lord that replaces it. And so much talk about lips and mouths and speaking and words and all that kind of thing. And these are the prophets. Well, uh, one theory that I have about what's going on here and why we see... This, uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of stories. And what I love about them is that they're the same story again and again and again, but every single one has a little slice that you don't get from another. You know, I just love that about Scripture. I can't believe how, how beautifully it's, it's put together and how, how astounding it is. Uh, and we read a passage last time about uh, Paul saying that his, his strength lies in weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong, he says explicitly. We talked about that last time a little bit. Um, first of all, you may be familiar with this idea um, that everything in Scripture, Swedenborg believes that everything in Scripture has an inner meaning. It's all, it's all very meaningful and it has a deeper layer of meaning. So even what a prophet means stands for something that has to do with the truth. Um, and uh, male and female have a meaning. Male, it's, I believe it's not really a commentary about the physical genders in the human race, but it stands for that the males are truth and women are love. It, at other times, they're the other way around. But when you're talking about a prophet, I think why we're hearing about these stories of the prophets and their call, as Swedenborg describes this thing, just... Uh, Swedenborg talks about, let's say that, that blue stands for truth and red stands for love. And Swedenborg says that everything in our lives falls into these two categories, something related to, to these things. Love has to do with the heart, truth has to do with the mind. And the prophets, all the fact that it's about words and speech and mouths and so on, all has to do with the truth side of things. That's what prophets are. And I think that's why we see so many calls of male prophets. There are, there are female prophets. It's not impossible to be a female prophet. 
but we don't see their calls. And I think it's because of the meaning, what the, the meaning of it is. And so basically, you have truth. Now, what did it say about Daniel? From the day that you set your heart to understand. Isn't that what it said? What he was trying to do was to understand. And so you go up this arrow, I would say, of understanding. That's what is going on. And what I'm trying to do, what I love about Swedenborg's interpretation of Scripture is that it applies to every one of us. We all go through something of this shape. And so this is something that Swedenborg describes sometimes as going from truth to love or truth to good or goodness, things like that. Uh, so you're practicing the truth, you're deploying it in your life, you're, you're living by it, and that's bringing you to another level of understanding. And that brings you to your sort of burning bush moment where you, where you see something. You see it with your mind. You see this and you go, oh, that's fascinating. And you move closer to it. But then the Lord starts to speak to you. And the Lord means love. And so there's a point at which all your truth and all your understanding just collapse. No strength. Because you're in the face of something larger. Uh, you're in the face of love now. You finally reach the goal of all this was to get to the point of love. So now you're in the presence of love. And what happens is your strength collapses. Your strength, your, your, any intellectual strength, any ability of your own mind is flat on the ground or, or saying, I can't speak or I'm no good or I'm sinful, I'm weak and, and, and all this because that's the state of the mind. This is, I think these are pictures of when the heart takes over your life. It's exciting. It's a picture of what happens when the heart comes in and the heart is so dominant. What are these images? It's up on this immense throne. It's surrounded with unbelievable glory and power. And the intellect in the face of this just goes, whoa, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Peter has to say, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, that's like your whole response is not me, please. What did Moses say? Could we find somebody else? You know, <laughs> that's the way you feel because the whole intellect feels very unworthy in the in the service of this love. And when the love kicks in, then you start coming down from love into truth and into action and so on. Uh, this is uh, the, the cycle of the heart. And this is what happens with the prophets, I think, is that love takes over. This is what the Lord means, that, that I will be with you. you know. But I'm taking... Let's be clear here. It, it's not... You know, sometimes it tickles me to think about that sort of thought of the genie in the lamp, that myth, the idea that there's somehow a God in a confined space and you hold the power over it. And so you rub the lamp and the God comes out and you say, oh, make me a toasted cheese sandwich. And it goes right away and it does what you want. And then you, and it goes back into this confined space. Such a wonderful fantasy that we could control God in this way. When these people, when these prophets encounter God, it's like, oh, you know, it's not I'm in control. It's that is in control. You know, this is, this is love with a capital L. This is something huge. This is something bigger than any truth. This is what lies behind all truth. This is the substance. Truth is only the form. 
And, and so love comes in and takes over, and that's what you see with these people. And I think the reason we're told this story about males is because they represent uh, the understanding on its way down, up, and then they have this very humbling experience of no strength. And then when love kicks in, then they become this unstoppable force. When love is coming down into truth, then the love is power, the, the, and, and they have no problem finding the words to say. I mean, Moses doesn't seem like a guy who's fumbling for, for what to say when he goes in and talks to Pharaoh. He doesn't have a problem. Peter, when he's launching Christianity and everything, when he stands up so boldly and he tells everybody what's what in Acts chapter 2 and places like that, it doesn't seem like he's fumbling around. He's not still stuck in the, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He, he's in a greater strength because love took over the heart took over. So I think that's partly what we're talking about here. Um, okay. All right. And I do want to mention just a little bit. It's, it's not widely known, good friends. But uh, people who know things about Swedenborg have this idea that he was born on January 29th. Of course, he was not. Uh, he was born on a day that was called January 29th at the time but it was actually the day that we know as February the 8th, next Monday. And such a perfect time of year, you know, just shortly after Groundhog Day, halfway through the winter, you know, it's the perfect time to be born for someone who represents a new dawn, a new spring that's going to come into the world. It's a great, it's much better than January 29th. I mean, I know January 29th sounds infinitely cooler. There's really nothing more boring on the planet than February the 8th, but uh, it's a great time for him to be born. And that was, that's his actual true birthday is February the 8th. They had a whole shift of the calendar. It was unbelievable that, that went on during Swedenborg's lifetime. And some countries were on the old calendar and some were on the new one. It was constant headaches and good fun when you're trying to pay rent. And the first of the month is only 13 days after the last first of the month and things like that. But um, so I par partly was thinking about Swedenborg and his process because I don't know if you know much about what he went through, but he certainly had this kind of call. And I think he had dreamed. He even says in his diary at one point, I wish I could be the one to slay the dragon. You know, he, he's feeling this desire. And yet when the Lord appears to him, I think he feels the same way Isaiah and all the rest. You know, he just feels undone. He collapses. At one point he experiences trembling and shuddering so much that he, say, he writes in his journal, experienced the usual shuddering, you know, <laughs> was thrown out of bed on my face again, you know, and, uh, and he was a brilliant person. He, they, they retroactively assigned him the tied three-way tie for the highest IQ of all time. It was, it was a brilliant person, uh, but he was experiencing a severe humbling of the intellect and a love was kicking in. The Lord was coming into his life and he was coming from a very different place. And the strength that came through his works and everything, uh, just it's amazing to see what happens uh, to these people. And it's not that they all become automatons. Isaiah, after the call, is different from Swedenborg or, or different from Ezekiel. You know, everybody's different or different than the female prophets. Uh, everybody has their own way of doing it. So now the last thing I want to say about this is a little abstruse, good friends as if all that wasn't. But um, see, Scripture is written, we are told, according to appearances. It's written 
according to appearances. I have a little story to try to illustrate this. It's just a, a dumb little thing. But, but scripture is a doorway. So it has to be written in, a, in terms that people can understand. Then if you get through the door, then scripture can work on you and get you into a different mode of understanding. But it's written at, at the threshold according to the way things appear. Um, the little story uh, that I wanted to give you about this is that it would be like you know, there's a time, I think, in children's lives, I, you know, I'm not an expert on all this, but I think there's a ch time when you think that your ears are holes and your mouth is a hole. So if you put something in your ear, it would just come out your mouth, you know? I mean, you don't know how it works, right? So imagine if you were trying to talk to a child and you wanted that child not to stick a stick uh, in their ear because they'll burst their eardrum or something, you know. So in order to try to get your message across, instead of just saying, look, you have an eardrum in there and if you puncture, I mean, it can heal, but it would be bad and, you know, all this kind of stuff. No, just say, look, if you stick a stick in your ear, it's going to come out your mouth, it's going to taste bad. Do you want that? You know, so in other words, you frame it in terms of the, their thinking. Now, this is insulting to all of us because Scripture speaks to us in this way, and rightfully so. But Scripture speaks according to the appearance. Now, in the appearance, the Lord calls certain people to be prophets and even says sometimes, I didn't send that person. No, that's not a prophet for me. I called this person. I didn't call that person. But Swedenborg type, but that's actually an appearance. That's actually an appearance. And you can see it if you think uh, correspondentially. Think, think about the perspective of the sun. Let's have another little graphic here. We've had a request for lots of graphics on this nice, uh, you know, this, this rainy winter day. Okay, so picture you are the sun. You're blasting light. You're this unbelievable, constantly fulminating nuclear reaction creating an incredible amount of light and heat that's just blasting out into the universe. And you happen to have the good pleasure of being orbited by these few little specks of insignificant dirt. And so from the standpoint of your blasting energy, is your energy any different when it shines out into empty space than when it shines on the little, that little piece of dirt or this different piece of dirt, or the piece of dirt that has the little pretty rings around it, the different ones, you know. Is it any different? No. It's no different. You, it's not like you're, oh, I'm going to shine with this half of myself, but not that half of myself. You're, you're, just, you're just blasting it out. So when you think about this little speck 93 million miles away, let's depict the little speck here. Okay, there's a little speck. That's Earth. Well, that's the Earth. When the sun is shining on the earth, does it think, oh, I want to shine a particular way on that gardenia flower because it will smell nice, but I'm going to shine a different way on that skunk cabbage and make it smell bad? Of course not. The sun doesn't go... Oh, I'm aiming at that tree to the left. I want to just get this one, you know, or I'm going to send my blue light to people in this country and I'm going to send some red light. To... No, 
The sun can't. It just blasts it all. Same light on the moon, same light on Saturn, Jupiter, the Earth, everything, the same thing. As no, you know, there's, it's just, it's all radiating out. The Lord is radiating out a call for prophets. It may look like he picked that tree and not that tree. Or I like this gardenia because it smells nice when the sun shines on it. And I don't like that dung because it smells bad when the sun shines on it. No. It's all about our reception on our end. The Lord can't divvy it up. He doesn't give part of it. Uh, Swedenborg uses an analogy of this. You can look it up in True Christianity, number 364, if you want to. It's a great little number about this. And he says that the wind <clears throat> doesn't say, oh, I'm going to send part of my energy to, to that person because they're breathing right now. And I'm going to send some, some different energy to those people who are in a sailboat right now. You know, help them out a little bit. Oh, there's a windmill. I'm going to send a different, different energy there. No, it's all, all the same wind. And one person's using it to breathe. Another one's using it to sail. Another one's you know, using it for the windmill. Um, it, it's, we have the controls on our end. We are actually the ones who receive this. So it's a question of our reception. The Lord cannot possibly diminish or shrink in any way who he is. He's equally present with a rock as he is with you. And so it may look like, from the, the, from the way that Scripture's written, that he really liked Isaiah, and he really liked Moses, and he really liked Ezekiel. The fact is, it's the same energy going out all the time. Ezekiel responded in this way, Isaiah responded in that way, Moses responded in the other way. And there are all those slight little differences in the stories. One falls asleep, one says I'm sinful, one says we've got unclean lips. That's about the reception. I'm not saying the Lord is not a living God and He's not very aware of us individually, but His call is universal. The call is universal. There's no... Uh, he, he, he doesn't play favorites. It's just energy. It's just all, all of his divine energy is going out to everybody all the time. So if you have a dream uh, of whatever it is that you're dreaming of, I'd like you to think about this way of being strengthened, that it's a bumpy ride, and there's a point at which you lose your own strength, and then strength from the Lord comes in and takes over. So I just invite you during the coming week to, to reflect on that, if you will, and think about the way that that Strength comes in. Uh, in sum, part of the process of becoming a prophet is to experience in a deep way our own utter weakness, sinfulness, and ill-suitedness to the call. Then the Lord gives us a new strength and something to say. Thank you for your kind attention, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. Thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world, Lord. Thank you for calling us all. Lead us forward to the particular thing to which you're calling us. Each of us is a unique person with our own understanding, with our own love and our own heart, created for a different purpose, a different use in your kingdom, Lord. Please help us move forward. Strengthen us, even if it means that we have to spend some time 
face down before you. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we may be further strengthened.